Hey guys, this week we are covering a very close-to-home case, Lavender Doe, found murdered in 2006 in Longview, Texas. Since this is so close to home, literally less than an hour, we wanted to cover this case. You can find it on Dateline Season 29, Episode 39, The Woman with No Name. If you haven't already seen it, I highly recommend pausing now, going to watch it, and then coming back. It's a super interesting and unique doe case, and let me just warn you, this one gets pretty emotional. So let's jump in. I'm Alyssa. I'm Erin. And And we are Crime TV. Erin, I'm so excited to spill the tea on this Dateline episode with you. Yes. This is a good one. I am glad you told me about this one. I had actually heard about this one myself from Reddit. Oh. Just slightly. Like, once you said the name, and then I saw a few Reddit posts about it. Super, super interesting. And close to home. This one's close to home for us. I know. At the end of the last episode, we told them that this was a local case. Where Lavender Doe was found is only about 45 minutes from where we're sitting right now. Yes, correct. So this is very, very local. And there were updates and resolution to it as of 2020. Like December 2020. Yes, very, very recently. So I'm just so excited to do a Dateline episode. Like, can you imagine just being in the same room as Lester Holt or Keith Morrison? Like, I've only been listening to you for my entire life. I'm such a fan. I'm a newbie. This was my first ever Dateline episode. So I'm the Dateline virgin. That makes it sound like I was like someone who got murdered. That was probably an episode of Dateline. And then um, the next thing would be today we're going to be telling you the story of Erin, the Dateline virgin. (laughs) And it's going to be all about your murder. Thank you. That sounds like a thing. So Dateline episode. I feel like you can answer this question maybe for me. Are all Dateline episodes structured roughly the same way? Like, is this a standard Dateline episode we got here? Okay, so here's my thoughts as someone who's never seen Dateline before. I'm going to, this is the opinion of someone who has been living under a rock. Okay. Are you ready? No. All right. Well, too bad. I'm ready. I was not expecting the storytelling format to this. Mm -hmm. I was not prepared for this to be told in such a dramatic storyteller. Like, I felt like I was listening to a bedtime story being told to me. Just like a really dark Grimm Brothers bedtime story. This guy has a magical voice. Keith Morrison. Love his voice. Well, you know, Dateline comes on at like 9 p.m. So it literally is like a grim bedtime story. I think that's kind of like the feel that they want to go for. Okay. It's like you're tucked into your jammies at 8.45 getting ready to listen. This is also interesting to watch a documentary because since I'm somewhat familiar with the area, I was like, oh yeah, I recognize that. Mm -hmm. I know where that is. That's the Piggly Wiggly. (laughs) Look at that water tower. (laughs) Um... So it was kind of it was kind of cool to know that if you were ever wondering, Dateline does use actual footage. It is real places mm-hmm. from that location. They're not pulling stock footage of a forest. Yeah, that's not Getty Images. That's actual Deep East Texas. That is what it looks like through and through. So I did appreciate that because 
you know, obviously it's a place that I know, and so it's a little bit cooler. You're like, oh my god, I recognize that. You're a little more engaged with it. I did like that they had real footage from the place, your standard interview style behind a plain backdrop, talking to the people. They were talking to very relevant people, though. I think it was all done well. This is how internet sleuthing should be done. Not to reference our first episode ever, but... The documentary that shall not be named. Web sleuthing is okay if you do it right. Correct. This is a perfect example of web sleuthing done correctly. You know, I'm such a web sleuth that I would love to get involved like they did. They were operating under the DNA Doe Project, and they were talking about how they would just be hooked on solving these crimes or connecting these missing persons to actual remains found and keith morrison made the comment that you know i'll only do this one hour instead of 10 hours and that girl made the comment oh well 10 hours would actually be a pretty breezy day i'm like yeah that's that's how i would let it consume me these are like the stay up to 3 a.m because you can't look away from your computer screen kind of people i mean this one guy even went and got his pi license because he was so invested in trying to help others find missing persons and that's exactly how i would be i mean if i ever got into that i know that's exactly how it would be for me that's why you don't do unsolved because you cannot handle it. I know that I am the person that I would commit my whole life to solving a case. And that's why, like, the unsolved stories absolutely keep me up at night. Because I sit there on Wikipedia, on Web Sleuths, on Reddit, and I'm trying to piece together anything I can about this crime that, you know, trained investigators haven't already pieced together. Well, you know what? You might be a little bit out of luck, though, because if you may have seen recently, okay. we have started putting out some polls on our Instagram, at Crime TV, T-E-A-V, and on our Facebook, Crime TV, and Alyssa, tell the people what one of the top response was. They want unsolved cold cases <laughs> and missing persons, and I want to pull my hair out of it. It's what the people want, Alyssa. I know, and... I want to give the people what they want, and I will make that sacrifice by, gosh darn it, I'm going to cry the whole time. I wanted you guys to know how much you were going to hurt Alyssa's feelings. I know, and I'm the one I love it. I love a good missing person's cold case. I am all about it. I'm like, oh, I'm going to find them. I'm not going to find them. I have no skills whatsoever, but I love a mystery. I love a mystery. It's right up my alley. You're going to hear a lot of me on these cases more than Alyssa. (laughs) Alyssa's going to be crying in a corner. I'm going to be sticking my head in a corner, burying my head in the sand, and weeping. But anyway, back to Upsetting Alyssa. Episode one of Upsetting Alyssa. I think that's another thing that, that a documentary should do, and this show... Is, while not a documentary necessarily, this, this true crime show does effectively is they make people passionate about something that they didn't know about. I watched this episode and I messaged Alyssa. She's here for confirmation. I was like, how do I donate my DNA for the DNA Doe Project? Like, what if I could help find someone? What if I could make a real difference in a cold case? What if I could help? just by providing my DNA, like I would 100% do it. So for people that want to get involved with helping solve cold cases and something that is totally attainable 
and doable for the common person. If you've ever done like 23andMe, Ancestry, Family Tree, or any of those genealogy type of websites, basically there's a file with your DNA coded and you can upload that to GEDmatch, which is what the DNA Dope Project uses to connect and, you know, map out these family trees so that they can match it to a missing person's. You can also donate to the DNA Doe Project, or you can, on Ancestry and 23andMe, mark your information as available to be viewed. Yep. I did my Ancestry probably about two or three years ago, and I forewarned my family because, you know, the Golden State Killer. I said, listen, if any of you guys did anything... You might want to confess now because the FBI is going to start knocking some doors down. Because you know the Golden State Killer was caught because of this ancestry that his like, cousin or something did. And they went to Jedmatch. There are a lot of good ways to realistically contribute if you're someone that loves unsolved or cold cases and you want to do something to help people solve some of these murders. Or missing persons. Yeah. Just be involved in the true crime community some way, make a difference, financial donation, or submit your DNA for possible fourth cousin that you didn't even know about. Yeah, I think I am actually interested and going to look up how to to give my DNA for a project like this so that I don't know if, if anything happens or if anybody is missing, maybe I could help and I don't even know it. I have mm-hmm. a lot of family, mm-hmm. like rabbits. <laughs> and you're the only child. And I'm an only child, but I got so many cousins. Mm-hmm. When I moved to Texas, I met cousins that I'd never met in my entire life for the first time that lived out here and connected. So I got family everywhere. We've kind of discussed the crime a little bit. So tell the people what tea you're drinking. Oh, today I have a hibiscus tea, a little bit of sugar, no milk today. For me, we're kind of recording late, so I'm doing the celestial... Sleepy time tea. Ooh, that stuff is so good. I know. I, I love it. Get that chamomile. The, the, the chamomile. <laughs> the chamomile. Oh, how many cups of tea are you giving this documentary? This show. It's. I keep saying documentary. It's a show. I want you to go first because... Oh my god. Because I said. Because I'm the Dateline newbie. Mm-hmm. Okay. A virgin. Um, I am going to give this... Screw it. I'm going to give this sucker five cups of tea. I was just about to say, I will stand for no Dateline slander in this household. This was a really well done documentary. I mean... Five stars all around. They present the case well. They use actual footage. There's nobody talking about crazy stuff. We get a good example of how to be a productive and empathetic web sleuth. Mm -hmm. We have resolution. We have... Everything. We have impassioning people to contribute in in a helpful way to solving cases. And we had a very heartfelt ending. I hope that you all listening genuinely did watch this episode. It's not very long. Under an hour. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel things a whole lot. I know that's right. <laughs> I'm pretty dead inside. And I felt something. I was like, Uh, I was like, it hurts. I felt something like I really genuinely felt relief and comfort for this family. I was so 
I don't know how to describe what I was feeling because I don't feel things that often. So I, I don't... think it's called empathy. Empathy? Or sympathy, depending. It was like, just like warmed my little heart to, to hear the half-sister, you know, say that Dana Dodd was at home and they were leaving her in Longview because that's the people had cared about her. And I was just like, am I going to cry? Like, what is happening? Yeah. And that does not happen to me. I can watch some terrible stuff and then be like, all right, well, I'm going to get popcorn. But mm. I, this documentary got me. I, I, and I have to give it five stars for that. I, I can't imagine. I mean, we've watched some pretty hard ones before and we've discussed some pretty hard things, but you were just kind of like, it is what it is about it. But this one is what got you, really? Yeah. I don't know why. This is what cracked you. Maybe it's because this is a little more local. It hits harder. Yeah, it's it's it home. Hits, yeah, it's like home. But I don't know. I So I have to give this one full marks. Am impressed. Good job, Dateline. So 10 cups out of 10 cups of yeah. tea. Our first ever achievement unlocked. A perfect documentary. Dare I say it. I, I said it wasn't going to happen and then it happened. I hope we can do more Datelines in the future because... I love Dateline, obviously. Big fan. Oh, yeah. I'm going to start watching Dateline. I'm going to become that crazy cat lady that's watching Dateline by herself and shouldn't. Well, just invite me. Text me. If I get my heart warmed every week, though, I'm coming for somebody. I don't think so. But there's 30 plus seasons of I Dateline. I don't like it. I don't like this feeling. <laughs> it's too It's too fuzzy. So, to get you off the heartfelt stuff, let's talk about the documentary. So I want to tell the people about this part of Texas. Give them the rundown. On the Dateline episode, they have Lieutenant Eddie Hope, and he's wearing a cowboy hat. And I want you to know, law enforcement around here, they actually wear cowboy hats. Yes. That is not a costume. That is not for the documentary. They truly wear cowboy hats all the time. That is a Texas truth. And I've never seen that done in any other state ever. But it's like... Yes, we are going to live up to the stereotypes. We are going to wear the cowboy hats. So, Lieutenant Eddie Hope also has a very strong accent. And I feel like that's exactly what I sound like. You don't sound like that, though. Lieutenant Eddie Hope is from Gregg County, which is also the county that my fiancé is from. And I will say with full confidence, that is what my fiancé, his siblings, and their dad sound like. It is like strong accent they're almost like speaking in cursive it's just like one country twang all one word sentence there's not a whole lot of enunciation there and it's taken me we've been together for a little over five years and it's taken me this long to really understand what their family is saying Okay. All right. I'm not super familiar with the dialects in this area still. I'm relatively new. Uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not from around here. I am from a different part. Well, that's one of the things that cracked me up in the Dateline episode is when Lieutenant Hope says, maybe she's not from around here. (laughs) Come on. This is like, and I know it's just how people talk around here, but it absolutely cracked me up. You know what? That's in North Carolina too, though. That, well, they ain't from around here. You you get that. (laughs) Like, you definitely get that, so I can resonate with that. <laughs> yeah. After we are introduced to Lieutenant Hope, they introduce us to the three web sleuths, or not web sleuths, really, they were volunteers with the DNA Doe Project. And just to reiterate, if you have the chance to make a contribution, financial or just your time, 
do so. Find your local crime-solving, law enforcement-supporting organization and help it out. Make a difference in the crimes we discuss. Obviously, from this case, you never know in what way you could be related or helped because I think they hit a lot of dead ends. This girl was found in 2006 Mm -hmm. and we didn't get resolution until 2020. Right. That's a long time. That is 14 years Mm -hmm. that people stayed on this case, stayed engaged and cared about this woman. And I think that was one of the bigger takeaways that made me feel things was because people cared about this woman they didn't even know for 14 years. And especially, I think, in recent times, it's been really easy to just assume the worst about people. But it's people not giving up and caring about this woman, even though she had no name, we didn't know who she was, that ultimately solved this case. If it was just up to Longview PD, this case might never have been solved. But it was people that cared and took the time, the focus, and the energy through these projects that helped identify her. Lavender Doe's remains were found just south of I-20, north of Highway 31 in Kilgore, Texas, kind of in a more industrial business area. And that's where her burning body was found. Whenever two men stumbled upon her body, they said that was like a very recent start of the fire. So that since it was out of the city limits, it was covered by the Greer County Sheriff's offices. And with the DNA Doe project, I think it's important to point out that these law enforcement officers have so much work on their hands. The Lavender Doe case was not the only case that Lieutenant Hope was working on. Yeah. He had to, you know, use resources and time for other projects. So for these volunteers that kind of crowdsource this investigation, I mean, Lavender Doe is just a prime example of how volunteers like you or I can help solve cases. So, Lavender Doe's body was found with DNA evidence from John Wayne Burnett. It was a semen sample. And he admitted, yeah, I had sex with a girl, but, like, I don't remember who she was. And so, they kind of let him go. But, I mean, it's not a crime to have allegedly consensual sex with somebody. Yeah. So, like, they had nothing that they could tie him to. So, they just had to let him go. And that was in 2006. But then we fast forward to 2018, whenever Felicia Pearson went missing. And I remember when this happened. I mean, this is only 2018. But I remember when it happened. I remember seeing her picture that is used time and time again on local news. I was like, wow, this is so real. This is so local. It kind of sent chills down my spine. It's always harder to hear about something that's happened close to you. Mm-hmm. Even though I am fascinated by crime cases and the way that people think that causes them to do horrible things, it definitely hits a little different when it's somewhere you know or that you're familiar with or that's like really close to you, for sure. So John Wayne Burnett was um, the boyfriend of Felicia Pearson who went missing in 2018 and he confessed to Felicia's murder and in his confession he was like hey I gotta get this off my chest um so 12 years ago I killed this girl and burned her and they're like whoa 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 (laughs) time out buddy and so they brought Lieutenant Hope who did the questioning and I mean that's how they figured out who killed Lavender Doe but then there was the issue of who was she And that's whenever DNA Doe Project came into play and they were able to piece together the family tree for her through her DNA. 
I think this is also such an interesting case because, and I think even Detective Hope said this, that this is so far off of the usual order that things are discovered in. Like, you've got a body. 12 years pass on this, what was essentially a cold case. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you have a confession and you're putting a guy in jail and you still don't even know who the victim is. And that's pretty crazy. Yeah. I remember it was probably like 2016. And it was like the 10 year anniversary of whenever Lavender Doe was discovered and they were pushing like, you know, do you have information, send it to Crime Stoppers or Greg County Sheriff's Office or whatever the institution was. And then it's crazy that two years later, he so happens to slip up again. And I, I wonder if the fact that it was still, that people still cared 10 years later and made that push to for information and to find more out. I wonder if seeing that publicized and seeing how much people cared about this individual, even though they didn't know her, maybe fueled some of the guilt for Burnett to come forward. I mean, it's hard to think of murderers in that kind of light. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, he felt really guilty all these years he's been holding on to this. But I mean, you know, do you think that maybe the media push and this like sense of community around this Jane Doe could have made him want to admit to it? I mean, I think it's possible, but I I believe personally that he probably already saw himself like going to life for Felicia's murder, that he might as well confess to this too and give the people closure. And that's actually a statement that he made. Oh, okay. Is that he's like, I just want to do this to like close the book on that, basically. Gotcha. Um, so for as shitty as he is of a person for those acts, I am somewhat of a way respect him for just giving the family closure because he could have gone to his grave with that. Yeah. In his life sentence. So. True. I guess small, very small sliver of a brownie point for him for doing that. Credit where credit's due. Right. You know, at the end of the day, humans are humans and we do some wacky crap and we Mm -hmm. are terrible sometimes, but sometimes we're good. So Felicia was found on West Birdsong Street in Longview and Lavender Doe, who was named later as Dana Dodd, was found off of Fritz Swanson Road in Kilgore. And the two of those locations are about 15 minutes apart or for people that use actual distances at 13 miles apart. And so I guess it makes a lot of sense that this was a local crime, like he had a comfort zone. So I'm going to assume that he lived somewhere in that area. But Brunette picked up Dana Dodd in the very north side of Longview, which is even further away from where she was found. And she was allegedly selling these magazines outside or magazines with items in them that you could buy. And it's roughly a 20 minute drive from where he allegedly murdered her, which is actually a bridge that I pass all the time, personally. Like I said, my fiance, family lives out towards that way and so in the Dateline episode they show a snapshot of a bridge I was like this bridge looks so familiar and so I spent for like two hours this morning searching on street view and getting the right angle and it's actually what I think is a creek just south of the Sabine River on North State Highway 42 which is just south of White Oak, Texas, north of Kilgore, Texas. And so he allegedly killed her under this bridge and then drove her another 10 minutes south to this industrial area where he burned the body. Which this State Highway 42, it's very dark. It's 
very creepy. There's not a whole lot of street lights. And not to like play into the mind of a maniac, but I feel like he could have just dumped her body in the creek or in the river if that's really what he wanted to do. So I guess I don't understand why he would have run the risk of being pulled over on the road. Like, why would you kill her, load her back up just to get rid of the body somewhere else? Well, it doesn't seem very smart either because there's going to be evidence all in your car. Right. I mean, assuming that you, I mean, this went cold for 12 years, but from the get-go, if you were going to do something like this, it doesn't seem very smart to put the person that you've just murdered in your own car and transport the body to a different location. Right. I mean, the Sabine River, which he was probably about half a mile south of, it goes all the way down to the coast. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of a fast-moving river. Again, playing devil's advocate here, but he could have just her into the river it wasn't like he had any remorse obviously a piece of trash human being and that's kind of how he treated dana dawn as she was just garbage i just i don't understand i wish they would have made the connection of why he chose that and it's possible that he just didn't provide that information yeah i wonder if he was like an employee of one of those industrial sites out there because he was an ex-convict maybe sex offender it's not really the type of guy that works at the local bank i was about to say probably difficult for him to find a job and so one of the discussions i wanted to have with you is how there is this interstate that runs just south of longview texas just north of kilgore texas and it's near the louisiana state line And one of the conversations that I've had with my fiance is how the interstate kind of is an aid for like human trafficking, drug trafficking, you know, crimes of the whole variety where I can commit a crime in Longview, Texas and in 45 minutes be across state lines. Mm. So I wonder if that may have played part in how she got there with this human trafficking kind of magazine sales company that she was working for paired with the type of person he was. Perfect storm of bad instances, I think. Yeah. This kind of stretch of I-20 is very well known for drug trafficking. Human trafficking, I think, is becoming part of the conversation, but drug trafficking has been for a long time. I mean, you've got Dallas, you know, another hour and 20 minutes west. You have Shreveport, Louisiana, another hour, hour and a half east on I-20. So you kind of got two major cities and I-20 goes all the way to the end of the map. Well, I wasn't sure how the trafficking had played into it. I mean, I know the company was sketchy and they were wondering if that was kind of a a front almost, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have a whole lot of detail about that. And to be To be honest, I'm not very knowledgeable about human trafficking, to be honest. I don't know much about it. I don't know about the the crisis that it is. I've heard it talked about a lot more recently through various outlets, but it's not something I'm familiar with. And to me, this just seems like a crappy guy, a girl that didn't know her place in the world, and just bad timing, I think. Just bad place bad time, bad, bad moment all around. I mean, I feel for her family and there's thousands of other families because almost every single day there is a Jane or John Doe reported in the United States. And so that's 365 families roughly every year that knowingly or unknowingly have somebody missing in their family. 
Yeah, which I think is why it was so important to have shows that bring these kinds of things to the forefront. I think it's important that people know how common this actually is. And the more people that are willing to provide to these projects, the more people that are going to be identified and families that get closure. And Alyssa... One of your favorite things is closure. So I, I know I this it. is a big, a big thing for you. Right. And the DNA Doe Project was only found in 2017. And they've had, I think, 60 or so cold cases resolved because of their efforts. So in the span of, what, four years, they made a lot of progress. That's almost a cold case solved every month. Yeah. And I, and I was really glad to see this show talk to her half-sister, and obviously this was a very, very heartwarming case by the end of it. I mean, it's a tragedy, and it's terrible, and this woman's life was taken from her so early, but it really turned into this very nice story about a community and an entire web of people that came together to, to care about one person they didn't even know. Yeah. And I think people need to keep doing that. Just in general. Care about people even if you don't know them. Yes. Be kind. Be kind. That's what I think people should take away from this. And it's especially nice, I think, for you and I because this is like a local case. This is our home. (laughs) Yeah. And it's nice to know that where we are, well, it's filled with one murderer, but he's in jail now. And then a lot of people that are willing to care and keep people at the forefront that don't have their own families. It was just very nice. We should make the drive to Longview and put a little something on her grave. Yeah, we could. Make it an afternoon. Yes. To remind people that people go missing all the time and it takes an entire community sometimes to resolve these kinds of things. And to be fair, I mean, just to even show the prevalence of how often there are Jane and John Doe cases, you and I, we live about, I would say it takes me about 10 minutes to get to your house. Yeah. And I pass the location of a John Doe on my way to Aaron's house. I mean, a 10 minute drive. And that's not the only john or jane doe that has been found in this area obviously yeah and this john doe was actually picked up by the dna doe project very recently i wish we could have been funnier in this episode this is a good story though i I had nothing to tear down in this one and i do really well when i can eat somebody alive for breakfast i know eat him up Um, no crumbs call him right out Mm -hmm. but i didn't want to call anyone out because i think genuinely this the show was good, the episode was good, the web sleuths were good, the community was good, the message was good. It was just good, okay? There, I have zero complaints. All right, we've got to go. I'm tired of feeling. <laughs> that's it. Case closed. Hi, I'm Alyssa. You're Aaron, and that's the tea. We're done. <laughs> no more feelings. Oh, wait, but find us on Instagram at Crime TV. Find us on, on email at crimetv at gmail.com. T-E-A-V spelled on everything. TikTok, Crime TV. Facebook now, Crime TV. Crime TV. And watch out for a Twitter coming soon. Wait, Alyssa. What? One more thing before we go. What? What case are we doing next? What do people need to expect for next week? Oh, gosh. So we are going to head back to Netflix for our two-week series. This is a two-parter, people. So we are going to be doing a two-parter on Night Stalker, The Hunt for a Serial Killer. It's the Richard Ramirez story. So there are four episodes, 45 minutes each. 
So we're going to cover the first two episodes next week, and then the week after we'll do the last two episodes, kind of split it up. We're not trying to put a whole lot of pressure on you guys. Mm -hmm. Take it at your own pace. Mm -hmm. So this will be a two-part episode special, or if you're into binging, you'll be really prepared Mm -hmm. for the weeks in advance. Join us next week, Monday, 4 a.m. Central Standard Time for Night Stalker. Night Stalker episode one and two. We will see you guys next week. Bye.